Hello, my lovely listeners. I'm Dr. Mary Barson. And I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. Welcome to this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. Hello, lovelies. Today I conclude my chat with Belinda Fetke. She is a trailblazer in getting the word out on why we're not told the whole truth about the foods we eat. At the heart of it all, as you know, Dr. Mary and I believe firmly is that people with type 2 diabetes, with metabolic dysfunction, with people who are storing excess body fat, it is not your fault. There is huge stigma around this. People feel guilty. Society shames them. At the end of it, we will tell you, we always say this, it is your responsibility if you have these problems to fix it. No one's coming to save you, except maybe us, but it is most definitely not your fault. And I want to make that extremely clear. Belinda and I chat today about our society completely immersed in advertising, in marketing propaganda. We are bombarded with sugar, processed foods, and big companies making profits at the expense of our health. Gorgeous ones, I hope you enjoy our chat today. Take care. Every time you walk down those supermarket aisles, this is healthy. This, you know, they call it more fiber, more this, more that. Stars, I don't know, whatever they can put out. And yes, cholesterol lowering, fiber rich. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to know what to do and what to buy. And as I say, even as a medical professional, I was a nurse in my very, very, very past life. And Gary was a doctor. We were believing in the dietary guidelines and just that carbohydrates had to be, you had to eat carbohydrates for energy. You had to eat them to survive a day. And and it's interesting as you go on, you know, Gary's been very low carbohydrate for 13 years now and he's still walking around. <laughs> and He's got um, plenty of energy, that's for sure. He's got plenty of energy. And I just think, you know, it's it's really sad that so many people, I would suspect, still feel some fear in challenging guidelines and in promoting things and also the time. Like for a GP, you guys, hats off. It is such a huge responsibility. People are just coming nonstop and most of these people would be severely sick with metabolic disease. So having the time to discuss different strategies with people is a real concern and uh, I don't know how you do it. It's amazing. Uh, And, you know, I think that the issue, we have a lot of issues around how we provide healthcare in Australia and the funding for it and the governments all want, you know, universal bulk billing, UBB, it's called universal bulk billing because it's popular. It sounds good, but the model, and, and they could have that if they wanted to, but they have to fund it better because the complexity of healthcare, the compliance that, that GPs are required to do, it cannot be funded on this current model. It needs more funding and they're not going to do that. And so at the moment, I mean, there's GP practices going broke. 
They're closing their doors because they're broke. It's not because they don't want to help people. They're literally broke. And so I agree at the moment, right at the moment, it's very hard. We've got a tsunami of chronic disease, as you mentioned. We've had a from a different angle, but a similar consequence of, of COVID. And it's everybody, everybody in healthcare is very, very burnt out. And um, so I get it. I get why people sometimes will just write a script. It is much faster. It is much Absolutely. faster. And for some people... For some patients, it may be it may be what they want to do. They may not be ready to address their livestock. It's very challenging in our current, you know, this phrase of obesogenic lifestyle. But I would say that what we need to be doing is offering people, like you said, the choice. And then when they make that choice to change their lifestyle or embrace different habits, all of those things, we need they need support to do so because it's it takes a while. It does. But we used to own a a clinic called Nutrition for Life where we employed dietitians and um, a credentialed diabetes educator and health coaches and what they saw when people wanted to make those changes, some people embraced it full on like Gary, let's, yep, take it by the hand and I'm not stepping back, never going back. But a lot of people required, I called it SAM, support, accountability and motivation. And without those three things, and the great thing is now you can access a lot of that through podcasts like Lucy's and Mary's, but you can also access it on Facebook groups. There's lots of support now, which I don't believe was around pre-internet. You just couldn't find those same things um, unless it was a Weight Watchers group, which was a processed food thing. So the idea is support, accountability, motivation, but some people will find it hard because of pressures of family because they are enticed or they really are as you say breaking the addiction to sugar and processed food is really 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 hard and sometimes you can be done for years and then all you need is one little thing and if that's your trigger you're back in it but I do know that our team saw people over a number of years and each time they came back they had a little bit more knowledge and a bit more determination and then, so it's like giving up smoking. You know, you don't have to stop it once. You can keep trying. Keep trying until it actually happens and just celebrate. Don't beat yourself up if you can't get there because it is really, really hard sometimes. But each step forward is better and that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you're completely right and we talk a lot about the all or nothing concept that people have of diets and diet culture and the language used around and I think for women in particular, they usually have a long history of dieting and people are use words like cheat days and, you know, being naughty. And um, that language is really important because it sends our brain a message, you know, that we're, uh, that we don't have any discipline, that we're weak willed. And if, if I just had more discipline, I, I would be able to do this. But since I can't do it, then I'm, it's obviously me who's the problem. And I think, no, nah, it's not. There is a million reasons why sometimes sticking with the plan that you want to do or enacting the knowledge that you have, implementing that knowledge and unpacking the stories in your head, which again is conditioning years and years and years of conditioning and just unpacking that, you know, with compassion, not berating yourself. It's the absolute key. That is beautifully said. (laughs) It really is. And I think that's why we've joined together to be part of Tracy McBeath's next event coming up in August because this is what it's about. It's about empowering women to understand that 
it's not your fault, but you can make some changes. And I love how you talk and I love how Tracy talks about the importance of caring for yourself and not berating yourself moving forward. I think most people in this group, it's just like it's a fantastic forum and I can't wait. I'll probably be the only one challenging talking about history and doing all those things. But but I also think understanding that history helps people understand how they can make better choices because if you don't know why these messages are coming forward, it is hard to challenge or to make any other choice because this is what everyone knows. You need carbohydrates for energy, You know, all of these things. Oh, but cholesterol is bad for you. And so I'll let everyone else talk about the science and I'll keep going with my history and my chatting about the vested interests. Uh, and it is, it's very motivating for me to know that actually there are the guidelines, these processed food companies, they're not there to help us. They're there to make other people rich and they're not having my money. Well said. They're not having mine either. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right, darling. Well, this has been the most delightful chat, of course, and um, and I am so grateful to you for your detective skills and the fact that you have been trawling through dozens and, and hundreds of documents looking, looking with you know, not just glancing, like I might look at something and just glance over, you're actually in there really diving into it and recognising and challenging and pulling it out and then then putting it together for us. So, you know, I'm extremely grateful. You're very, very welcome. Well, I do enjoy it. And I'm actually in the process of developing a different website because, interesting, my godson said to me recently, Belinda, I'm a doctor. I'm not going to tell my doctor friends to go to I Love Gary website and take it seriously. Well, yeah. So I'm in the process of developing up a website just called BelindaFetke.com and it will have Gary's story in the back end, but the research will focus more. I won't be telling his story so much. I'll just focus on some of the research that I've done, which I think is just really important for people to understand. So watch this space. <laughs> Oh, well, you have no idea how happy that makes me because whilst I admire Gary immensely, I actually <laughs> admire you, if not a little bit more, maybe a tiny bit of fact. And so I would love you to, you know, move out from the shadow of Gary's story and actually just present the stuff you do on your own merits. It's just magnificent. Well, thank you very much. I couldn't have done it without him and the science. <laughs> and often we chat about things and sort of uh, things merge. But I do think understanding all of this vested interest and in religious ideology has just been incredible and and it needs to be stood on its own now. It's ready. Mm. <laughs> and I guess just to clarify, when we're talking religious ideology, is it just the Seventh-day Adventists or are there other no, religions I actually, involved? I think there was a, a paper put out in 2018 called The Global Influence of Seventh-day Adventist Church on Diet, and I didn't write that. Seventh-day Adventist church members wrote it in Loma Linda. It gives an incredible description. I think it was done in response to the research that I've been putting out, I'm sure, but they've been intricate in trying to change guidelines and there's no doubt they're probably the most powerful in that area. But the talk that I'm going to be doing coming up is actually discussing there's a lot of religious and cultural beliefs around food and what we eat, when we eat and why we eat. And so... Yeah, I think it's really important. I had no idea until really quite recently because I'd heard that the Catholic Church had Fish Fridays. And so I thought, well, I haven't heard about that for a very, very long time, but it is actually still there. The Catholic Church still call for, they call it 
abstinence and it's you're not allowed to eat meat on a Friday. So interestingly, in Detroit. Yes, 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 I grew up with that concept. In Detroit, mm. a McDonald's owner, this is a very strong Catholic community, McDonald's were flat on Fridays. So he enveloped the fillet of fish. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> but you know, ah. all, these, all these little things, I think it's really important to understand that the Jewish religion, they're very strong with their beliefs. They're not anti-meat, but it's all got to be done kosher and halal and presented a specific way. But if you go back and look at the Bible, you go back and look at ancestral, you look at evolution in the Bible and you compare and contrast the two and just the fascinating introductions to veganism that I've been looking at and Jain religion is probably the strictest religion about diets. They will not even eat a potato or an onion that grows underground. They'll only eat fruit that falls off a tree so it's already died. A lot of the Eastern mystic religion beliefs are actually around metempsychosis and that's the transmigration of souls. So a lot of mystic vegetarianism means because of karma, as you go through your different lives, you, depending if you've got positive or negative karma, you may come back as an animal, not as a human, and you may even come back as an inanimate object. So the choice for a lot of religions in not eating animals, not they'll still have the milk and the butter and things and ghee, they're worried they might be eating a relative so, yeah, Eastern vegetarianism has very different origins to Western vegetarianism. So is it the Seventh-day Adventists that are the ones that are heavily influencing world guidelines, though? Or Yeah. Yeah, whereas these other communities are, are more just within their own religious organisations. Within their own religious yeah, Have I got that right? Yes, because the Jewish religion doesn't want to convert everyone else to Judaism. They're very happy where they are and they just think, you know, this is where we are. The Seventh-day Adventist Church are on a mission. They've got, the, I think it was in 2018, they wrote total member involvement. Every single person involved in that church is to use the health reform message as an entering wedge to the church because they have been commissioned to spread the gospel to everybody and convert people because until enough people give up meat and are converted, Jesus is not going to come back. It will not be the end of the world. And if it happens within their lifetime, it's a lot less complicated than being raised up from the sleep. So they really, really want Jesus to come back in their lifetime. It is a really, really deep mission. And I think that's an incredible consideration. This isn't necessarily about finance. So I think there are some people within the corporate church who are making a lot of money. So as in any corporate area. But a lot of the individuals within that church just truly believe they're doing the right thing. Yeah, and I think this is um, this is where it gets tricky, isn't it? It's you know the dietitians who think who believe that their educators are giving them the right information, the medical student like me who believed that um, you know fat caused diabetes because my superiors at the time were telling us that. The, the doctors who think that prescribing medications is, is actually the, the most helpful thing, they're often not malicious people. They're doing it because it's what they believe. And challenging beliefs, it can be hard. Challenging a belief is much harder. America brought out the Sunshine Act where they have to provide financial conflicts of interests and if people who are doing research own shares in companies, you know, so all sorts of things in that space. We don't have that in Australia. 
So when I first started doing a lot of my research, the only way I could find out if people were were compromised unless they were on a board and then they had to declare it, but even those have been hidden under the, you have to go back under the archives now to find those. But in America, they have to produce it. And if an Australian researcher does research with an American, they have to produce that conflict of interest. So that was how I was able to find out a lot of people. But we don't have a university that trains doctors and dietitians and nurses here in Australia, owned by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. But in America, they have quite a few. So often if you look back and you think, well, this person's gone to this high school and then they've gone to this university and they've done their medical here and they've done this, and the whole thing is through Seventh-day Adventist Church, you tend to think, well, they have been either entrenched in that belief that the demonization of animal proteins and fats is important so that they're educational and potentially they are of that belief as well, a Seventh-day Adventist belief. And this is also the scary thing going into the South Pacific is that, well, up until recently, the presidents of a lot of the countries, you know, Papua New Guinea, Fiji, Samoa, they are Seventh-day Adventists. So they're also very excited about bringing in the Seventh-day Adventist health reform message into their countries and creating this. So you have to think in a lot of third world countries, this is the way the Seventh-day Adventist Church bring the health message in to countries, especially in China, they offer a hospital. And so by bringing in health, not the Bible, bringing in health, they're a lot more accepted into places and then they educate people. And if you are poor and illiterate and you get an opportunity to be educated and potentially reach a higher position to be able to get a job, and especially if then you get into government, in different countries, in Jamaica, Seventh-day Adventism is one of the biggest religions there, then even if you don't stay a Seventh-day Adventist, you're not going to harm the hand that fed you to get to the place where you are and probably still look at it as something that's really, really, really good. And in lots of ways, it is good, but their beliefs on diet are so restricted And because they want everybody else to be eating that same way, that's my concern is this ability of the church to have gone so far. Do you know, I mean, they're they're playing a long game. They're very clever. It's insidious and sneaky, as you said, and comes with some benefits, but the effects on our health for many people eating a a processed plant-based diet in particular is just unhelpful and the as you said the demonization of meat within our society is that is just unhelpful for health mm-hmm. yeah so that's why i'm calling them out so again the jain religion the aesthetics the jain religion the the highest laity they will not even wear clothes so there's just a few men. They almost look like they've been in a concentration camp. They're so malnourished and they walk around. They won't use cutlery in case there's an insect or something on it that you might eat and harm a life. But as I sort of mentioned with a lot of my research, it's moral gymnastics. And Gary and I are living examples of moral gymnastics. You know, we've talked about uh, house here and and all the environmental things and the embodied energy and everything we've done. But a lot of people, you know, we can't all go and use that quarry that we were able to get our (laughs) clay out of to make our house environmentally friendly. So, you know, moral gymnastics of how you support your arguments goes all the way through. It's everybody does it. But for the Jane, 
moral gymnastics here is that they're not allowed to cook or prepare any food or pick any food or do anything that the absolute aesthetic people at the top. So they walk around with their hands and they rely on other people feeding them. And as long as that food hasn't been prepared for them, it can include animal protein and fats. So do you understand? Because they haven't done it themselves, but they're only allowed to eat in the morning and it's only what is poured into their hands and they have to eat from that. Oh, gosh, what a deeply flawed process and those poor humans. But they believe they've gotten to such an incredibly high spiritual karma that this is what this religion believes. So there's so much deciding what we eat, when we eat and why that this is, I guess, where my research has just become a fascinating topic of investigation But for me, the most concerning groups, I believe, have been the influence of Coca-Cola, and I could do another one on Coca-Cola another day, and the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So they're the two that I see infiltrating Western dietary guidelines and manipulating them to an extent that we've demonised animal proteins and fats in our diet. Yes, yes. Okay. Oh, amazing. Don't ask any questions. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. This time we are going, Marla. Yeah. This time we are going. So beautiful listeners, this has been a very, very long chat. It is totally fascinating and it does lead you in many ways to question, you know, question things. Don't accept blindly what you're told and don't accept blindly what is written on the packet. Don't accept blindly what is even in the guidelines. It doesn't mean that the person, you know, and again, I'm very mindful to be protective of my fellow colleague GPs at the moment. They are incredibly overworked, under-resourced and probably exhausted. But certainly, you know, keep your mind open to just I think keep your mind open to everything would be my result. It doesn't mean that you accept everything. You don't want to be gullible and open up, you know, emails from some prince in Nairobi, but keep your mind open. There we go. And learning. They're they're, they're my two little pearls to leave you with. Beautiful listeners there. All of the show notes will be at the end of this episode, including links to uh, Belinda's study, including links to our blog that we wrote on fruit juice, lots on there and our (laughs) recent podcast on uh, juice is juice healthy certainly we know not and go from there have a beautiful beautiful week take care see you next time so my lovely listeners that ends this episode of real health and weight loss i'm dr lucy burns and i'm dr mary barson we're from real life medicine To contact us, please visit rlmedicine.com. And until next time, thanks thanks for for listening. The information shared on the Real Health and Weight Loss podcast, including show notes and links, provides general information only. It is not a substitute, nor is it intended to provide individualized medical advice, diagnosis or treatment nor can it be construed as such. Please consult your doctor for any medical concerns.